What's up? This is Alex from Hello Humanities. Today on the podcast, two former students, class of 2021, Sophia Brady and Annika Jurgensen. We're going to be talking about how college is going so far at UC Davis, studying abroad, and how to maintain a high school friendship while still in college. So stick around. Hello Humanities coming right back. All right, welcome back to Hello Humanities. I am joined by two fantastic former students, special guests, class of 2021, Sophia Brady and Annika Jurgensen. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today on Hello Humanities. Thank you so much for having us. Very excited. Yeah, this is good. This is so exciting. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> so the two of you go to UC Davis, but you are both in very different places, not just in your studies, but also in your physical geography. Annika, you are right now in the middle of a year abroad in Sweden. Sophia, you are, I assume, off campus, um, but at UC Davis, still still in the United States mainland. So let me start, Sophia, with you. You're a junior now, almost halfway through that junior year of college. How is it going so far? What are you studying? Where are you at? Yeah, so um, school is going really well. I feel like I'm finally in the swing of things. I think junior year has been maybe end of sophomore year and junior year. I've really felt um, sort of in my in my college zone. I'm studying cognitive science and I'm doing a bachelor of science with a computational emphasis. Um, there are two different tracks with cognitive science. You can do the neuroscience track or the computational track, or you can also do a bachelor of arts. So lots of options going on. And so I considered doing a Bachelor of Arts um, and ultimately landed on the computational emphasis because I've really enjoyed taking logic classes. There's a little bit more linguistics and computer science, which is always um, handy. And then I'm studying um, I'm studying abroad right now in Sweden, like you mentioned, and at Davis, this the same, you know, the same major just applies when you study abroad. So I applied originally as a sociology major, and then I'm doing an emphasis on law and society. And there are several um, options at Davis for soci emphases, um, which is really nice. So even within the major itself, there's a lot of variation and people are studying very different things. Um, and then I'm doing a minor in human rights. So I've taken a lot of classes about like race, ethnicity, immigration, some poli sci, um, Right now I'm taking two classes that I felt were very, very relevant right now. Um, so one is history of the Holocaust and then the other is um, governance and conflict in the Middle East. Right now, as a student, I feel like the same sophomore and junior year, I feel like have, have probably been my, my best of the three. Junior year being probably number one. I just think you kind of get into the swing of it a little more once you've spent some time taking different classes and kind of just having more diverse experiences. So, yeah. I love that the two of you both are recognizing how the development through college obviously gives you a better foundation for enjoying yourself or finding your way. I've spoken in the past two episodes to current freshmen in college. And so it's, it's awesome to hear a couple years in sort of the ways that you found your paths in different spaces. Annika, I actually want to ask you about studying abroad. 
you've obviously been there now for a little over six months. You're in Sweden. Thank you for taking the time out of your evening on this Sunday morning here in California. But I want to ask, one, why did you decide to study abroad? And two, has it been, especially as a social major, as someone who is focusing on human rights, law, these things that also obviously exist outside of the United States, has it been interesting to take those classes and think about these courses from the perspective of looking out into the rest of the world and looking back to the United States? Yeah, to answer your first question, I had wanted to study abroad for a really long time. Both my parents studied abroad in high school and spent a lot of time abroad in general. So I knew I really wanted to do that, but I never knew where I wanted to go. And I originally was planning to go study at at Accra University in Ghana, but I it slowly just really came down to a financial decision. Studying here was just a lot cheaper. I have some relatives near Stockholm, which is still several hours away, but it's nice to know that if I need to, I can go and visit and, you know, like extended family comes from here in Lund, which is Southern Sweden, um, very close to Copenhagen. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of live in the same place that some of my relatives lived. And I've actually recently gotten in contact with some extended family that's still here. So that's been really interesting. Um, But yeah, it's been a really great experience so far. Uh, I think especially considering my major, I I knew that being in a different culture would be really, really valuable. I think it's valuable for anybody, but especially if you're, you know, academically studying and analyzing different groups, I think that's just, it's kind of another form of studying to be in a new place, general like political climate, kind of society here. I had spent um, the year before I came here. So the summer of 2022, I think I was living with my relatives for like a month or so. Um, But I still, I was a tourist, you know, I was still just seeing things and wasn't used to it by any means. So coming here has been a really big learning experience. And I think, especially given the current just global political climate um, and Sweden having so many um, immigrants from the Middle East. I think in 2016 or 2017, they took in the most refugees um, of any other European country. So there are a lot, it's very diverse here, which people are, I think, usually pretty surprised by, but it's very interesting to be here while all of this is going on. Um, and of course, I'm I'm in an academic setting Lund is a university town and that's kind of the main thing that it's known for so the people I'm surrounded by are professors and students in class and also outside of class so of course the conversations I'm having are maybe a little bit different than the typical conversations that people might be having but it's been really eye-opening to be taking specialized classes in sociology and history classes, and just classes based on culture in general and being in such a different place. So yeah, it's been a really rewarding experience so far. And I originally actually just planned on being here for the fall semester. And then I had been here for like a month or a month and a half, and I decided to extend and stay for the year. So I'm glad I made that decision. And yeah, it's studying abroad is definitely an experience I would recommend to anybody who has the option or ability to do it. That sounds amazing and definitely would be something I think a lot of students could benefit from 
you mentioned earlier a bigger school, both of you going to Davis, more opportunities. Sophia, I want to turn the question to you. I know that over the years, as we've kept in touch, you've kind of had a different academic path, thinking about different things, different ways. So I'm curious, do you feel that going to a school like UC Davis, going to a, a larger school with, as Annika mentioned, having a little bit more in terms of options, different paths you can take, do you feel like that is true for you? Do you think that UC Davis and sort of having that bigger foundation has allowed you to sort of explore those things and really find the path that you've taken? Yeah, I think that this is true for a lot of UCs, but um, different from state schools, I think that general education is a little bit more emphasized during your first couple of years. Um, and so you don't necessarily have to jump right into, you know, I'm only taking major classes. And, um, and so I think that I do have this sense that if you come in and you're not really sure what you want to do, you can kind of just hang out and, and take GEs and figure it out. Got a lot of help from an advisor in terms of um, just figuring out what the right path for me is. Um, thankfully, my, my major is really interdisciplinary. You can do a lot of different things with it. So I, I've never felt super constrained by it in terms of my options. Because of its um, kind of broad academic sweep, it um, if you wanted to totally change paths, you've probably already taken some classes that will help you move forward with that. And so, yeah, I, I definitely feel like there are lots of options out there for people. I've, I've never felt like, um, oh, I'd really love to change my major, but I can't. I think that I've always felt pretty comfortable with my major. Um, but I know lots of people who have changed their major, you know, two, three times or considered doubling, uh, double majoring and then not um, or just pursuing a minor. I think that um, really when it comes down to it, I feel like I can take classes that I'm just interested in that don't really go toward my major necessarily. And at the end of the day, if you can say, hey, I've got experience with this, I've got this skill, it doesn't matter that it's not on your on your degree. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of options for people out there. That's awesome. I want to uh, stick with you, Sophia, and ask you about something that Annika spoke about as well, which is this idea of the way in which sort of campus culture, the culture you're in, kind of works around you, we had talked about just being on campus, especially in a time globally where there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of conversations happening, these questions of free speech uh, and the ways in which that speech is both being protected or limited. What is your sense on campus at Davis about that? And maybe do you, do you feel like it's changed since you've been at Davis uh, over these three years? Or do you feel like in some sense, it was kind of always, it was always looked at or seen as that space of kind of the complexities of, I guess, free speech versus speech that you like. Yeah. I mean, I think when I first came to Davis, I didn't, it's not something I thought about every day. Definitely once in a while, um, a lot of students here are interested in social justice or come from a specific background that they want to ad advocate for. Um, it's a super diverse campus. Um, and I'm sure 
Monica's had that kind of same experience with there's just lots of different big groups of people there's different communities everywhere and um, I think that Davis is definitely a place where social action and and reform and protest is is encouraged and all that expression is loved and welcomed here but yeah going, going back to your question I, I definitely didn't think about it every day freshman, sophomore year, um, I, you know, I'd walk around the, our Memorial Union, which is kind of the, the big gathering center for students. And there's always, um, you know, groups tabling, there might be a protest there, were, you know, it's just kind of an everyday interaction you have. I think that in the past, you know, few months, it's definitely something I think about every single day. And, um, you're kind of guaranteed to see something um, when you're walking around campus. And um, I think the, the past few months have been sort of um, a little bit more tense for my household. Um, my roommate is Jewish, I'm Jewish, and um, she lost a family member on October 7th. And so um, we've been able to kind of connect on that but there 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 is a jewish population here so it's it's nice to have somebody to talk to but when you when you feel like okay there's like three or four people who will really understand what i'm saying it's sort of a jarring experience um that i've not had before and, and in terms of free speech um i think it's interesting kind of going back to what I said before about you you see something every day. It's interesting kind of walking around and having these formerly neutral spaces um, become not neutral. And so, you know, whether it's a professor wearing a certain shirt or a student bringing a flag into class or graffiti in the bathroom, you know, when you're, when you're in a bathroom stall and you're surrounded by opinions, it's such a weird experience. And, and it's sort of, yeah, one that I one that I um, wonder is it um, is it right for me to feel disrespected by this um, by all of these opinions sort of encroaching on my on my space though though it is a public space it feels like certain places like your classroom or your professor or your bathroom should um, feel a little bit more safe and neutral so it, it's interesting because of course free speech is important and I'm all for it. <laughs> I'm definitely not against free speech, but yeah, it, it's been interesting having to just deal with it every day and yeah. think about it and think about what I'm saying and, and um, what I'm wearing and, and how I present. First of all, I'll say, I'm really sorry to hear that about your, your roommate to your point about this idea of public spaces and neutrality. It's, it's a really interesting time. And I think I was thinking about this earlier in preparation for our conversation about the way that the internet and social media and the sort of technology of the day have really, they've really destroyed some of the ways that the hierarchy of media has always sort of created narratives. So the, the story being told was always the story kind of coming from top to bottom, right? It was always, there was always a, a formal kind of gatekeeper of information and the narrative was going down toward the people who are listening to what was happening and then processing it, right? And I think the beauty of the 
internet era and social media has been the destruction of that hierarchy, right? Like that's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful that certain voices that never got heard are now being heard, that people are able to express themselves in a way that is able to connect with different community members. And yet that has also created this real sense of purity, right? Where you have to be this or this. There is no complexity on the internet. There is no nuanced space. And I've completely, as a teacher, a classroom teacher, I've experienced that too, because I was saying before we started the call that so much of my job and the thing that I love about social science and, and history specifically is that it's really complicated and that the complexities of history make it interesting and make it valuable and make it relevant. And in a time where all of those things are still true, we now have the expectation that we need to choose. It's always about choosing. Which side are you on? And I realize that I am also in a position where I am a, you know, I'm a gatekeeper, I guess, in my classroom. So like there is somewhat of a hierarchy in that I am, I am giving information, I'm processing information. But I always say to my students, and I'm sure you two remember this, I don't, I'm, I don't have all the answers and I can't share every single piece of information. I, I'm literally deciding what to show and what not to show every single day. And that's okay. It's okay to, to have bias. You just need to recognize who has that bias and how valuable that other biases and other perspectives are. And the beauty of college is to have academic and personal conversations, to be able to have those things in spaces that feel safe and uncomfortable. I think, again, discomfort is different than feeling unsafe. And we can have uncomfortable conversations. The problem is that everything has become so high stakes in these conversations that the purity with which you, again, when, when, you're, when you're signaling what you care about with your shirt or your you know, scrawling a message on something, the idea that that message is, and your, your individual opinion is more important than anyone else's is obviously ridiculous. And it is the democratization of, of voice. And that, again, generally I think is a good thing, but it is a way then that everything becomes an opportunity to raise yourself up and denigrate others. And man, just, again, I know this is all academic speak of, of, of real situations that people are experiencing on the ground. And so even in that inherent is, is built the sort of privilege of not being someone who is actually being impacted by these things specifically. All of this is to say, um, I, I appreciate the nuance and the complexities of, of that point. And I think, Annika, you mentioned this too, that the world experiences these things differently. The diversity of the spaces that we live in and the spaces we learn in are both incredibly valuable, but also we're going to come up against viewpoints and, and experiences that differ from ours and that maybe disagree with ours. We have to understand that that's okay. And that as long as those things are not actually making us feel or making us unsafe, like physically unsafe, then we can have these conversations and disagree. I wanna ask something along the lines of thinking about your friendship, because I think in many ways, the two of you were friends in high school, um, 
you were in the same class, third period A push. As college students now in two very different places, thousands and thousands of miles away from each other, I think there's a worry sometimes that students in high school get where the, they feel like the relationships they had and have are going to be lost or going to change. And I'm curious, how do you feel like you've been able to kind of maintain your friendship and deep connection with Sophia over these years, not to put you on the spot too much? No, I, I feel like that concern that you were talking about that a lot of high school students have, I definitely had that in a way. Um, just knowing that you're going into such a different and new chapter of your life and obviously a lot of things are going to change. But I I think I've realized this, maybe not recently, but like going into sophomore year maybe, that not all friendships require attention 24-7 and all of your effort all the time. And I think a healthy friendship, a healthy relationship of any kind you have understanding for each other that life gets in the way sometimes, but you still have, you know, great conversations, great times together, regardless of how frequent or infrequent they are. And I think specifically with Sophia and I going into freshman year and starting college, I felt a little bit nervous just meeting so many new people and feeling like this friendship that I had had for so long. And we have been super close since kindergarten or first grade so it's been a really long time and so I think meeting new people and being exposed to um just all these different groups and kind of deciding like oh I feel really close with these people I'd like to develop this friendship you know etc um I felt nervous that maybe something I was so used to and so comfortable with would kind of change and maybe it would go away altogether and I just wasn't sure how to deal with that and I had, I had never dealt with that but I think yeah as I was saying I kind of realized that to be so close with someone you it doesn't have to be like every single conversation you have is this deep emotional like long thing you know it can still be these maybe superficial menial interactions that are still important but every one of your interactions doesn't have to be this big thing in order for the friendship to be still really important and still really strong. I feel like with Sophia and I, we lived on very different places on campus. And so seeing each other didn't really just happen by accident because we were on completely opposite ends. So we had to maybe make a little bit more of an effort to like once a week or something, just hang out and go get coffee, something like that. And I think I've realized that in high school, you're so used to seeing the same people every day, especially if you have class together, you spend so much time together. You get so used to that, that it's hard to get, it's hard to get used to that not being the case anymore, but especially being here and being so far apart now, you know, we obviously don't talk every day. We don't see each other every day, but when we do, it feels more important in a way and I feel like I value it more I feel like Sophia values it more so I think of course friendships change relationships go away when you enter college but stressing about them and feeling like you know every interaction has to be something really great isn't worth it because that's just not realistic like people don't have the emotional energy and bandwidth to do that all the time. So I think it, it definitely took some getting used to, 
but um yeah it's really nice to know that you don't have to see someone every day yeah I I totally agree I think that um coming into college it's a bizarre experience in terms of making friends because in high school like Annika said you you have the same people every day you have a very very small group to choose from it might not feel like that but you know um yeah slim pickings in high school which is not a bad thing at all <laughs> but so then in college when you when you go to this you know, big university, you feel like, okay, there's so many people here. I have to find perfect friends because I have all the choice in the world. I think with Annika, I feel more like family than I do a friend because like Annika said, we don't have the same sort of friendship maintenance that you sort of need to have with a more surface level friendship. Um, and so it's more like we kind of know everything about each other and um and our friendship definitely did change i think that in high school maintaining friendships is like one of your biggest jobs because it's such a social ex experience because you're with the same group of people every day and and so like doing something fun with people and and planning little getaways and who's invited and who's not I think that's like your one of your biggest jobs in high school mm -hmm. and so it, it's very different in college in terms of friendship maintenance because um there, you don't have that pressure anymore of that select group and and it's the same people and and who who's invited to this um so yeah it's very different I mean our friendship has has changed but um in some ways I think that kind of going to the same school and and not having our same um, high school friendship maintenance regimen has sort of strengthened it in some ways. Friendships in college are, are different. It's not like a maintenance job always. Um, yeah, I wouldn't stress out about finding the, the magic people. Um, just let it happen. It'll happen. That's great advice. It's so lovely to hear the both of you speak about that relationship as someone who's who knows you both and knew you both in the classroom. And I think both of you are speaking to something that is very, very relevant to a lot of students. And this, when you think about the future, like with quotes around it, there is this feeling that everything's going to change. And I think the maintaining of relationships in the way that both of you are talking about is it's like a balm I think for a lot of people to be able to recognize that they're still gonna have those relationships they're still gonna maintain a sense of self it's just you get to kind of expand that sense of self and that that pool of friends and I love that I didn't know that you've been friends all that long I can only imagine the two of you as kindergartners adorable Sophia I'll start with you is there one thing that you know now that you wish you had known and you could give advice to your, your junior year uh, high school self, what would, you, what, what would you say to that person? Yeah, I, I thought about this for a while and I think I came up with some sort of cliche answers and I think that's okay because I, I know I heard them and I just didn't believe them or I, I didn't try to do them until later on. But um, college goes by so fast. Um, I feel like I 
just got here and you know I've just got one more year after this which is crazy it's good not to stress about it ending quickly but it, it's good to kind of have that as a reminder that it's 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 fleeting in a way and so it's it's good to appreciate it at times um and then the other thing is a little bit more concrete and boring but um I think making connections with your professors when you can especially at a big school is hard and it it took me a while to see the value of that because I think when you're in these big classes or even smaller classes it's really easy um to just be kind of a, a silent person in in the room because you don't you don't have to speak in most classes which is different than in high school and so I think people don't learn necessarily how to have to speak in a in a place where you're not asked to always speak mm -hmm. and I think I think you can gain a lot from it. I, I didn't believe that, but I, I think it's true. And, um, you know, in your future, you might need recommendations. And if you haven't spoken to a professor, it's it's hard to get that. It's not something to be scared of because they really just want you to talk to them. I think just generally being more forgiving of yourself in high school and in college is really important. I feel like I put so much stress on myself in high school to study and get good grades all the time. And I didn't really grasp the fact that that's a period of your life that does go away. It does end. And you have certain friendships that might not be long-term that are just kind of present during that four-year period. And even if those friendships don't last your entire life, you still look back on great memories and it's it's a happy thing to think about. And I think if I had really understood that and thought about it, I would have realized that I should just say yes to more things and put less pressure on myself. Um, and of course, the pressure to get good grades and study all the time definitely changes when you go to college because you know, not everything is centered around your GPA. Yeah, just in general, being more forgiving of yourself and understanding that maybe if you've had a hard week and you have a lot of studying to do, but what you really feel like you need is like a night in or a night out with friends, like do what you need first for your own mental health and physical health and everything else should come after that. Obviously, school and education is important, but in my opinion, it's never worth putting that above what you need. Thank you both. The grind is real. And I think both <laughs> of both of your pieces of advice have been incredibly helpful. I think there is maybe a sense of cliche, but I think cliches are cliches for a reason because they feel so universal to some extent. And I, I love your words of advice. I'm sure the kids will appreciate it. I do too. I think that ultimately the more time you actually spend taking care of yourself, you will be, you'll do your work, your academic work and everything better anyway. It, it really, it's like getting sleep, right? Like that extra hour of sleep versus that extra hour of studying. I think the sleep is almost always, always going to be more beneficial uh, than, than the extra hour of studying, whatever that looks like. 
Thank you both so much. I want to finish with just an opportunity. If either of you have any questions, you've been away from our school community for a while. Do either of you have questions? Annika, I can start with you. Do you have any questions for me about anything that you now have an opportunity to ask me about? <laughs> yeah, I think um, this ties into our last question pretty well. But um, what, what do you think is the biggest thing that you learned as a student, whether it was high school, college, whatever, that has the biggest impact on the way that you teach now? I think the best thing that has led me to the teaching practice and style and I guess values that I bring into the classroom is really the idea of creating a community and having a environment and creating an environment to be able to have interesting, in-depth, complicated, awesome conversations and, and lessons. As a teacher, I very much value the way in which my students have to feel in order to do their best, kind of to some extent, kind of what you just said. And so really knowing that the classrooms that I spent time in that were the most focused on making students feel heard and seen and respected were the ones that I got the most out of. And, and also the vice versa of that is true, that the places I felt most confined or felt the most pressured or did not feel good about sharing my opinion or felt nervous about saying something that I thought might sound stupid or whatever it might be. Those are the places where I, I think if learning happened, it certainly did not get retained. So to me, I think trying to, I'm always trying to create a better, more inviting, safer classroom for students because those things are much more valuable in those spaces. And you can remember more and you can synthesize more, right? By learning something in a less rote way, in a more respected, thoughtful, connected way, you can use those things going forward. And so I would say that's my, my long answer of saying that I think you have to feel safe in a place to take chances, to take risks. And I think taking risks is kind of what school is all about, to find that path that you're gonna eventually take or to try paths that don't work, you have to take risks. I feel like a lot of students are scared to ask questions or you know, give their own answers a lot. And I, I totally um, agree with you that yeah, safe, respectful environment is so important. Thanks, Annika. Sophia, what about you? Yeah, I have a, a couple. I think the the first one I'd like to ask is, my lead up for this question is that I'm a, I'm a writing tutor. I've been a writing tutor for past, couple years on campus and um we are given these guidelines um which are basically to use sort of a guidance versus instruction hands off um you know lead the student to the correct answer approach which i love the idea of but i struggle with a lot because um, most of the students who are coming in to get help from a writing tutor are international students, and they do not have the same approach to English as, say, somebody who grew up speaking English. And, and what I mean by that is you can't say, 
well, what sounds right, what feels right to you, you know, like, what do you think is the right? So it's a more mechanical approach, which I think doesn't align super well with this, like, guidance versus instruction method. So a long way of saying that, um, well, my question for you is, how, how do you sort of maintain that student-driven learning environment um, while kind of balancing this wide range of capabilities um because I think it's something that's really hard to do but I think that you do do it um so yeah how do you do it that is in some ways the challenge of being a teacher and it sounds like you're experiencing that too just as a tutor it's this sort of balance between doing the work allowing for students to sort of grasp it on their own and and we really see that the discrepancy in, as you're sort of saying, with language skills, with just familial educational background, right? Did your parents go to college? Um, we know so much now about the amount of words that you hear as a baby impact, just here, like in your periphery, in your environment, impact your language skills, impact your thought processes, impact your own use of, of, of language. And if it's not English, then obviously to write in English, to process in English is going to be more difficult. And we still are in an education system that really focuses on this idea of academic work must sort of hit these different benchmarks. And we have to think about how to build these skills and obviously just everything based around grades and the idea of making sure someone is doing this well or else or you lose funding if your school is low scores like i think we're in a really weird place in terms of education and i think that hopefully as we change we can think about this stuff in different ways i struggle with it to be completely honest i i do certain things well i think i i'm always trying to do them better but it's hard it's hard to ask someone to how does what feels right? I think you said it so beautifully. What feels right? Nothing feels right. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't, this isn't, you know, whether it's writing academically, that's not the way that we, we don't think the way we write. And the way that we talk and the language we use is different. And look at the way that slang comes into our academic experiences, right? As the kids say, no cap, I'm not capping. And I don't know if anyone still says that. I think ultimately it's, it, it is, I think, student-centered. It has to be considered of who the student is and what the goals are. And as someone who teaches AP US history and an English language development class, those students need different things. And my teaching must be different. It has to be because I have to meet the students where they are. And something I struggle with a lot is really thinking about where are they? <laughs> Where are the students? And, and what is a helpful expectation? What is an unreasonable expectation? Your recognition and frustration in, in that process is, is true of, of us too. And as an educator, I'm always balancing what that looks like for each student and what that looks like for me in my classroom. Did that answer your question? It did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think kind of growing up, I had a unique experience in that um, my mom absolutely prioritized 
writing. Like that was, that was in her eyes, the most important skill um, to develop early on. And, and um, the way I learned was, was not holistic at all. It was, she, you know, would write with a red pen on all my papers and, and just tell me that's wrong. This is right. And, you know, I, in fifth grade would have like six drafts of some book report and, and, um, and it worked for me, this whole, like just pure instruction, um, totally worked for me, but I, I think it's obviously very different for, for everybody. Um, but I, I do really value writing and, and I'm very appreciative that I, that I had that experience, even though I hated it when I was younger. Um, but I, I definitely am yeah happy that I was given those tools pretty early on um and, and then I think that your your answer really connects to my last question which is just that um you now have students maybe last year as well who kind of entered high school during the pandemic I know my sister entered you know her freshman year was was pretty much virtual which is crazy I think that Annika and I really lucked out with our timing because pandemic happened when we were like kind of done with high school and already had all of these connections. And so everyone wanted to come back to school when we went hybrid um, versus freshmen who didn't have any connections. Who So of course you don't want to go to school if you don't have to. And so, so I just, yeah, I guess I want to ask, is there, is there, have you had to really change your approach? Have you found that there's, anything that stands out about that teaching experience is different or difficult um, or just how has it been? Before I answer it directly, I just want to say one of the true sad things in my teaching career is losing your class in March of 2020. To all, to all of what you asked, I think it's hard for the kids and the social factor is real. The first year back when we were masked, I think kids didn't really know how to be in a classroom together. Annika, you noted earlier the way in which we're navigating different things in high school, right? The social aspect of it, the academic aspect of it kind of exists sort of underneath the social aspect. You can't do well academically really unless you have some sense of how to interact in a classroom, depending on the class, but really knowing how to be comfortable in those settings. And so, it's been really hard. It's been really hard for students and it's better. As you said, um, your sister is graduating this year, which is, which is cool. I hope to see you at graduation. It's wild. And this senior class were eighth graders. And I think, and I had many of them last year as, as juniors and it, you could just see it coming out of that place, people getting a little bit more comfortable. And now this current junior class, I think, next year if i'm teaching juniors again i think it will look more and more like pre-pandemic but in terms of teaching it's a challenge because to your first question how do you balance academic versus the social versus the meeting students where they are versus understanding the deficits that certain students have and trying to manage all that with 35 of them for 90 minutes it's a lot it's intimidating but at the same time that's what's interesting and fun about teaching. And what I love about it is that opportunity. I've gotten a lot better at understanding that things don't always go the way you want them to, and that that's okay. 
as someone who always was an over planner and always wanted to make sure I was doing everything right, you can't do that over Zoom. Things aren't going to happen that way. And you have to be like, you know what, we can't do this warm up. We can't do, we can't do this part of it. Like what's the valuable part of this lesson? I'm going to keep that and kind of get rid of the other stuff. And we're not going to be able to do that lessons this year because of timing or counselors are coming in or whatever, just being able to be adaptable. You have to be malleable, know that things aren't going to always go the way you want them to. And that's okay. And I think it's been great to learn as a, as an almost 42 year old, that that's the way things go. What am I afraid of? I'm afraid of failing. And if I'm afraid of failing, the thing that feels like I've planned it and I know how to do it and this thing is just the way it is, that will feel like I will have less of an opportunity to fail. And that's not good teaching. It's not good anything. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm glad to hear that that you're noticing kind of the the lift out of the pandemic education uh, atmosphere. So yeah, that's good to hear. Sophia, Annika, thank you both so much for joining me today on this conversation for Hello Humanities. I appreciate the both of you. It's so good to see both of you. I hope we get to talk again after Annika's home and maybe you've graduated and so excited to hear the future for both of you. So thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. This was such a fun Fun way to reconnect. Yeah, yeah, what a great conversation. And I'm excited to see you both at some point in the future. <laughs> Thanks so much to Sophia and Annika for joining me today. It's been so wonderful to have all these former students. If you are one of my former students and would love to be part of this conversation, please email me at arobins at srcs.org or you can direct message me on my Instagram at Robin's class. Otherwise, friends, have a wonderful rest of your day. Peace.